Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Um, tonight, um, God just put this word on my heart for you guys tonight. I believe it's for everyone here tonight um, in the house and uh, just everyone watching online as well. But God put this on my heart and, and he said this, look what the Lord has done. So that's the title for my message tonight is that you need to look what the Lord has done. And uh, my first point tonight, it's so huge, and, and a lot of people get off right from this start of this. Remember that God only has good things to give. If it isn't good, it's not from God. And if it's good, it is from God. I remember when I was just a toddler growing up in Kit Carson, Colorado, I kind of wandered away from home. I see where my daughter Ada gets it. She's, she's a wanderer. She doesn't like to be... Pinned down. She's got places to go, people to see, things to say. And that's how I was. I wandered away from the house and uh, from the, the apartment we were at. And my parents found me and I was, I was preaching to people. I think I was just about three years old, but I was telling people, God is good and the devil is bad. <laughs> Remember that God only has good things to give. Period. And just, just when, whenever you hear some wonkadoodle teaching from some guy who's trying to go so deep, he, he's drowning himself and drowning everyone who's listening to him, just remember John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And we just need to take time every day, every day to look at the good things God has done in your life. I wouldn't, you shouldn't skip a single day. I was thinking about the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They saw the, the miracle power of God, all these, just, just him just completely just protect them, pass over them, just all these plagues, 10 of them just go to the Egyptians every time. They've been in bondage, the house of bondage for centuries, 400 years. He delivers them out. They walk through the middle of the Red Sea and, and they, they praised him. They thanked him the first day. But the second day they didn't and by the third day they were complaining. They don't take long to forget what God has done. Remember that God only has good things to give just by the third day, they were complaining, Moses, you brought us out here to kill us all. God just wants to kill us all. Did, did, were you awake just three days ago? Hello? Did you see me with that rod? Did you see? Did you see that Red Sea just swallow up Pharaoh and the horses and the chariots? We even wrote a song about it. My sister, I appointed her to be the worship leader. Probably people complained about her, you know. Why does she get to be the worship leader? <laughs> is that just because she's Moses' sister? I have a good voice too. Why don't I get a microphone and I can sing and I can write my own songs? And <laughs> just, I'm sure Moses by day two, he's kind of thinking, what? For sure by the third day, he's like, man. <laughs> Take time every day. Say every day. Yay! Every day to look at the good things God has done in your life. If there is something good in your life, if there is something good in your life, thank him for it. If there's something perfect in your life, thank God for it. 
You know, James 1, turn really quickly to James 1. We'll start in verse 13. James 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. And that word tempted, it doesn't mean like, you know, a Playboy magazine just falls down right in front of you and say, this, this is God. You know, that tempted mean, means to go through a trial. It actually means to go through affliction, go through despair, go through... It's not just meaning being tempted by sin. It's just, just going through a trial, experiencing evil. You can look at it in the original Greek. That's what it's talking about. When anyone is going through a tough time, going through the valley, don't say, God, I thank you that you took me out here in the desert. No, God's going to bring you through the desert. Don't say, I, I'm being tempted, I'm being tried. God, God's doing this, putting this difficulty in my life. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So what is evil? Evil is anything that comes from the thief. That, anything that comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. God, God does not do this to He does not put anything on any, like he does not try to kill, steal, or destroy. Period. He, he cannot be tempted. You cannot, you cannot, he doesn't tempt anyone this way. Verse 14, but each one, when he's tempted, when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. God is not the author of death. God, God did not create death. Sin brought forth death. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He says, don't, don't listen to people that, that are trying to twist your thinking. Trying to go so deep into making you think that, that all these bad things, that God is putting these bad things on you. God is giving you this disease. God is giving you this heartbreak. God is doing all these things to draw you closer to him. It's a lie. It's deceit. It's deceit. Every good gift, man, I love this. Every good gift, say every good gift. Every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. I love this. James had this revelation that, that God in heaven, he is our Father. And he's the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's thinking about, about a, a sundial, how they would tell time. There's, there's no shadow there. The, the, God is always completely good, completely perfect, completely shining forth his son. And that there is no shadow of turning. If there's anything good in your life, anything good that happened in the past, any, any good relationship that God brought into your life, maybe it was a, a family member, a friendship, a teacher, a, a coworker, a boss, a neighbor, Anything good that came through that to you, that was God. Shining into your life. Thank God every day. Don't, don't leave off a day. Every, every night when I get to pray with my daughter Ada, she's recently turned three years old. I'll pray over her, but then, then I'll have her thank God. I'll say, I thank you, God, for... I'll just say one thing, Mommy, and I'll say, what else? And she'll say... Thank you, God, for Grammy, Papa, ice cream, Winston, Willie, our doggies. She'll just go on. She'll just thank God for good things. She knows 
what the good things in her life are. She knows Grammy and Papa are a good thing. Her brother Fisher is a good thing. Ice cream is a good thing. And you're going to say, well, what, what about pain? What about sorrow, loss, calamity? Heather taught Ada, pain, pain, go away, Jesus' name. Even our little toddler has experienced pain. Yeah, but I just, I just pray God's you know, protection over her, angels over her. If you've had a toddler, you know there are angels all around. Just so we can go, in one day, like three times in one day, I don't know what Ada was doing, but she... She, um, she was on a little step stool, and she got on it and swung around this little chair that's in her room and somehow got her head stuck between the chair and the windowsill and was just hanging there. And Heather was in the room, but she didn't realize what was happening. She looked over, and Ada was just kind of going, uh, uh. And she couldn't even cry because her, she was just stuck there. And then, then she looked at her and realized she just, her feet are just hanging there. And then uh, a few hours later, I came home, and I was hanging out with her, and and then um, she was in Fisher's room, and she climbed up to the top bunk, which she's done a lot, but I just turned around for five seconds, and she decided to skydive right off the top bunk. And we just heard this thud, and she was good angels. And then a couple hours later, we're eating dinner, and she, she was running around, and it was quiet for a few minutes. Whenever it's quiet for a few minutes... And Fisher said, I think the water is running. And, and I ran upstairs, and she was in, in our bathtub, and she had the water just on hot. And it was just standing in the tub. But God, God protected her. She had her socks on, her jeans on. She was completely soaked. And, but I mean, it was hot water. I pulled her out, and she wasn't burnt. She seemed happy. I think she was in pain. She would have gotten out. But, but she knows pain, pain, go away, Jesus' name. Maybe she was praying that. And no deadly thing will harm her. I pray, I, pray, I pray Psalm 91 over my children almost every day, that God, you give your angels charge over them to protect them and keep them in their way. Man, we, man there, there are angels. There are angels. I love, I love um, you know, the Christmas season that we recently came out of. Just, we sing all these songs to talk about angels, and you, you see angels in the Christmas story. You just see that veil between heaven and heaven. And earth just completely rendered open. And, and just the shepherds and the wise men, just everyone joining these angels just in worshiping Jesus. And uh, man, just, just I, I love reading through scripture and just seeing angels. You know, Abram, when he sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, he said, the angel of the Lord will go before you. Angels are involved with provision as well and direction. Pain, pain, go away, Jesus' name. Uh, we will experience pain that this, this world is a broken place. But we have, we have authority in the name of Jesus. Mark 16, verse 15. You can turn with me there too. Mark 16, verse 15. It says, he said to them, I love that this is the, the, the very last bit of Mark's gospel. Mark, I love the gospel of Mark because it's like the, the cliff notes it's just bam, 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 bam. He just gives you the nuts and bolts of how to do it. He doesn't always go into all the detail as the other gospel writers, but, but I love that he just, he doesn't leave this out. This last command from Jesus. 
He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, say these signs, will follow those who believe. Who's it going to follow? Believers. Are there believers today? So should these signs be happening today? In my name, Jesus' name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. If a church doesn't believe in that, don't go to it. They're disobeying Jesus. Look what the Lord has done. Remember that God only has good things to give. My next point, it's really powerful, but I want to make it and make it strong. Some of you need to go to the enemy's camp and take back what the enemy stole from you. I was thinking about some of these old, you know, Pentecostal revival camp meeting songs. Look what the Lord has done. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back what he stole from me. These are songs that I could play on the drums. The umchuk. I went to the enemy's camp and I took back. That's the only beat I can do. Ian's a much better drummer than me. That's, if we ever, ever have an umchuk you know, service, I can do all that. That's the only time I'm going to play on the drums again. I used to play the umchuk songs with my dad. We need to go back to some of those songs and listen to what they're saying and you know, I, I realized something. I was talking to Heather about this. The enemy does not stop until you put up a fight. The enemy, if he finds someone that he can torment, that he can steal, kill, destroy, man, he, he you think, man, the devil is just pure, unadulterated evil. And that there, are, there are people, there are groups in the world that have just allowed the enemy just to be... And it's hard to even fathom it that there are people who've just completely turned themselves over to the devil. I look at the the October 7th attack against Israel, that Hamas attack. It's just pure, 100% unadulterated evil. And, and, And a lot of people have a hard time just even comprehending that, that level of of evil. But that that's how the devil is. He is so evil, he just will not stop. He will, he will just completely try to annihilate somebody. So I, I don't want to give him one inch in my life because you, you, might, you might think you can compromise with the devil, but you cannot compromise with the devil. He, he will not stop stealing. He will not stop killing. He will not stop destroying. He's just going to keep going and going and going. The enemy does not stop until he completely destroys somebody. But you can do something. Jesus has already done something. Man, he completely defeated Satan. Satan has no power over Jesus. Jesus is the supreme conqueror of the universe. He conquered sin. He conquered temptation. He conquered sickness. He conquered evil. He conquered death. He's above all principalities, all powers. 
And he's given you authority in his name. He's given you power. He's given you the ability to put up a fight and stand against the wiles of the enemy. And when you do it, and when you go to the enemy's camp, I believe that you're going to take back a lot more than what he just stole from you. When you put up a fight and you realize what's backing you, the forces that are backing you, the spirit of Jesus that is backing you, the power of Jesus, these angel armies that are with you, man, the spoils are going to be so great. You're going to have to share it with somebody else. God is not the author of calamity. God is not the author of so much stuff that people blame him for. And I, I see this in scripture. I'm, I'm going I'm to take you to a great passage here in a minute, but I see it just in so many people's lives. When they're going through great difficulty, people start trying to play the blame game. They often try to blame the people who are actually there trying to help them. They often blame God, which is the worst thing you can do. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6. We're talking about going to the enemy's camp and taking back what he stole from you. 2 Kings 6, we'll start in verse 24. So Israel was being attacked. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. There's a little song. Still happening today. Verse 24, it's, um, and it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria, which was the capital of Israel. And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed, they besieged it to such a point now, this is just a picture of the enemy. They just will not stop. They besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. If I had 80 shekels of silver, I wouldn't want to buy a donkey's head. But not only that, it says one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings cost five shekels of silver. This was just complete annihilation, a complete calamity, complete distress, complete famine. People were buying donkeys' heads for 80 shekels of silver. Probably that's like the price of a house or something to buy a donkey's head just to survive. And even dung from, from a dove, from, from pigeons. And it you know, goes on, I'm not gonna go on all this, but, but people are you know, resulting to, to cannibalism. And we'll skip down to verse 31. We'll see what this great king of Israel did. He he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. He's blaming Elisha for this. This is the one guy who could help him. And he wants to take his head off. And and, um, this, this is actually... You know, it's kind of funny reading it here in scripture, but I, I've observed this just as a pastor being around people during times of distress, times of loss. Sometimes people will, will try to play the blame game. And sometimes they'll try to blame the, the one person who can help them. 
That's something the enemy tries to do. He tries to distort your perception of reality and what the real problem is. Oftentimes, the real problem is the devil. It says, Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him, and the king sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? That's probably some type of Hebrew swear word there. I don't know. (laughs) It's one of the things I'm going to ask God someday. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And and then the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. He could have blamed Ben-Hadad. He could have blamed the devil. But no, now he, he blamed Elisha. Now he's blaming the Lord. And he said, why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Basically, why should I even believe or trust, pray, hope, have anything to do with Yahweh? And then Elisha says this. Elisha has a prophecy right here in the midst of, of this craziness. Man, we need to be hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We always need to be hearing what God is saying. Not just looking around at what's going on. Looking, you know, just... And Elisha could have just been distracted. He could have been upset. He could have been emotional. Like, this king doesn't even like me. The government doesn't even support my rights as a... Our priority always has to be from from God. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. That's the word of the Lord. There's going to just be a major shift in the economy. This crazy inflation that was going on, it's going to be gone. And there's going to be abundance. And it says, an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? He doesn't even believe in, the, in an open heaven. If God, could, if God could even open the windows of heaven. And Elisha said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now here in verse 3, it says, There were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? I find it really interesting that God chose four lepers who, were, who weren't allowed to come in. Like they, they were probably sitting just barely inside the gate. They usually had to be outside the city, but probably people let them in because of this war that was going on, this besiegement. So they were probably... Maybe there were several, well, I don't know, but they weren't in, in town, but they were just right there at the gate. And, and something, something here really interesting, they reached a point. Elisha had faith. Not many people there in, that, in Samaria had faith, but these four lepers reached a point where they had a, I call it a nothing to lose kind of faith. And this is actually a very powerful kind of faith because you are completely out of the way. 
It's not about you. It's not about your talent. It's not about your, your history. It's not about how good you are, how, how people think of you. It, 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 it's nothing about you. It's a completely nothing to lose kind of faith. And that is a powerful kind of faith. Maybe some of you are here tonight and you're at a point of calamity. You're at a point of distress. You're just like, I might as well just eat pigeon dung. But if you, if you turn to God and have this kind of like, I have nothing to lose kind of faith, I'm just going to... I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. I'm just going to believe the word. I'm just, I, I've reached a point I have nothing to lose. I'm laying it all on the line. That is a powerful point, and this is a major turning point in the story. This is where it begins. And, and God chose these four lepers. He could have chosen Elisha to just walk out there and wave a magic rod, and, and just. but he chose four lepers. Why did God choose Four lepers. It's because God likes to use unusual people experiencing unusual things from unusual places to do unusual things. That way, everyone will know it had to have been God. At the end of 2024, if you decide right now, I have nothing to lose. I'm at the point with my faith, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust him. If he says it, I'm going to do it. If his word says it, that settles it. It's not about me. I have nothing to lose. I'm going to be completely sold out for Jesus. By the end of this year, this will be your testimony. People will see and they are going to say, only God could have done that. Only God could have shifted that economy. Only God could have shifted you from a loser into a hero. Only God could have taken that trial and turned it into a testimony. Nothing to lose kind of faith. This is all they said. Why why are we sitting here until we die? Verse 4, if we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. What's the worst thing that can happen to a believer? You can die and go to heaven and live with Jesus because he promised everyone who believes on him eternal life. All of us should have that type of faith. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I could die. They rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, 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 no one was, was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. And I love when the Lord, when, when a spirit of fear comes upon, you can see how just a little bit of faith, a little bit of action, a little bit of, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to step outside of these walls versus f- fear, just what fear does. Fear brings destruction. Free, fear
And whenever you see faith and fear contrasted in Scripture, it's so powerful. Just a little bit of faith, a little mustard seed of faith, just four lepers saying, hey, what do we have to lose? Versus this entire army, one of the most powerful armies in the world at the time. God just causes them to hear the noise of chariots, the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, their their helicopters. They just left them there in Afghanistan. Oh, wait, oops. You wonder who Pastor Aaron will not be voting for in 2024. It's not rocket science. They fled for their lives. When these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing. They went back and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. They, they just... That's just human reaction, you know? It's like, I'm going to start hoarding here. It's an episode of Hoarders. But then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Say good news. And we remain silent. If you have some good news to share, it's not right for you to remain silent. If we wait until morning light, some punishment will come upon us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. I love this. God did something incredible. He did something miraculous. God is still a miracle worker today. And it doesn't take much to see the miracles he's done, he's doing, and to believe him for miracles in the future. And I believe if you put up a fight and you go to the enemy's camp, you're not just going to take back what he stole from you. There's going to be so much, so much. You won't be able to contain yourself. You're going to have to share the good news. There's just going to be something in you. You just have to testify and shout. You're going to realize there is so much abundance, so much spoil. You can't just keep it for yourself. You're going to have to give it and share it with somebody else. That's how God wants to bless you. Bless you so much that you're going to run out of storage room. You're going to run out of space. You're going to run out of holes in the ground in your backyard to bury all this gold. Just like these four lepers. And if if you have a, a poverty mindset, I'm sorry, you're wrong. Our God is not a God of poverty. Just go to the enemy's camp. Put up a fight. See what God does. It's going to be miraculous. Last point, don't forget what God has done for you. Man, it is so easy to forget. I caught myself this afternoon whining, complaining, having a tough time. Just forgetting the revelation that God had given me just three hours before. So here's how you combat that. And if Pastor Aaron has to combat forgetfulness, I guarantee you have to do so as well. So here's what you do. You need to systematically, say systematically. 
Some of you are organized type people, and you love that word systematically. Just, you just get goosebumps thinking of systems. <laughs> Chrissy's up here on the front row. She, you know, she organizes a lot of our volunteers. She loves systems and organization. Systematically set up ways for you not to forget. The Holy Spirit's moving all over the type A people. Here's some systems to help you not forget. Number one, appoint times to celebrate. Appoint times to celebrate. You know, Saturday, we're going to go out for brunch, and this is going to be a, a time of remembrance and celebration and thankfulness. And all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, you see God just telling them, hey, you need to set this, appoint this time to, to remember, to celebrate, do something. Eat, drink, be merry, read Scripture, tell your children. Appoint times to celebrate. Some of you haven't appointed a time to celebrate in a long time. Some of you, when you show up to church Sunday morning, you need to say, you know what, I'm going to appoint this, I'm going to get there, I'm not going to just show up 15 minutes late for the last, I'm going to get there and I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to be, man, that, that Sunday morning, 8.30, 10.30, I'm going to be there and that is my appointed time to celebrate. That's number one. Number two, have some visual reminders of the good things God has done. When the Israelites finally came into the promised land with Joshua, the priests you know, took the Ark of the Covenant, they stood in water, and the, 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 the Jordan River heaped up. And the Israelites walked across on dry ground. And as they walked across on dry ground, God told them to get 12 stones. And when you get to the other side, when you get to the promised land, heap them up in a pile. You need to have a visual reminder. And your kids are going to see these big stones. Kids love stones. They love rocks, especially boys. They want to throw rocks, break rocks. They love rocks. Find rocks in Fisher's backpack. Rocks. Get 12 rocks. Put them in a pile. Your kids are going to say, what's up with those rocks? You're going to tell them what God did. We were in the house of bondage. But God, with his mighty, miraculous arm, brought us into the promised land. The land he promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Have a visual reminder. Make a trophy. Number three, tell stories to your kids, to your grandkids. Tell stories about what God has done. I remember a couple years ago, Fisher had this realization. When I, when I married Heather, he, he was uh, just five. They, they sold their house in Woodland Park and moved into my house. Um, just for We lived there for about six months, then we moved to our current house. We kind of combined our two houses, sold them, and got one new house together. And um, Fisher, Fisher had some slight memories of, the, of my first house that I lived in, and he was just thinking, like, wait, who, who lived there before me and mom? And I said, well, it was just me and Winston. And he just, like, started crying. He said, it was just you and Winston? 
And I said, well, it's just me and Winston for quite a while. <laughs> it was just me before even Winston came along. And he was just like, really? This is a very tender moment. <laughs> and he realized that God brought him and his mom into my life, that God did something. And I said, you know, God, God brought you guys into my life. He knew that I needed a son, and I needed a wife, and you needed a a dad. God did this. You know, tell tell stories to your kids and to your grandkids. Yes. Number four, write thank yous to people who have impacted your life. Maybe they weren't even a believer, but if if they invested good things into you, and you know that God brought them into your life to get you to where you are today? Write thank yous to people who have impacted your life. Give, give them something. Maybe it was recent, maybe it was 20 years ago. You know, a, a while back I was preaching, I, I just mentioned um, about the church I went to when I was 18 years old to, to 22 years old in Pittsburgh. And, and my dad was so touched just by just thinking about what that church with the pastor, what, what these two grandmas did for me. Uh, he, he, he wanted us to, you know, we sent them a $1,000 gift to their church and said, hey, use a little bit to treat these two ladies to a nice meal. And I wrote a very nice thank you. Something that happened 20 years ago. You know, we, we sent out Christmas cards to friends, to family. And, and um, I, try, I try to, you can, you can hear from God and speak words to people. It doesn't always have to be this, you know, the lighting and the, the you know, you can ask to hear from God and to speak a word to someone. Just the simplest thing. I, I wanted to send a, a, just a Christmas card to my flute teacher that I had when I was 18 years old. And uh, just, just wrote like two, two sentences down for her that I just felt God wanted me to... to... And she, she wrote me back. It, it, just, it just touched her that I sent her this card with a picture of my family and just said two, two little things to her. Systematically, you need to systematically do these things. You know, have a, have a spouse that reminds you, too. My wife systematically reminds me, hey, remember, you prayed for me. If I'm a little upset about something or, you know, I saw this little video. It's like, tell me you have a wife without telling me. And people just show a video. And, and it's, it's like this guy opening his wife's car door. And there's just all these plastic bottles and receipts. And <laughs> every now and then, I'll go clean out my wife's car. And it's clean right now, yeah. But she'll say, hey, remember. Remember, Fisher you know, knows what you were like. You were just alone. And. <laughs> It's you and a dog, and he's just crying about how pathetic you were before mom came along. This is, this is a really great line. The enemy is constantly trying to rewrite history and to leave God out of it. He's trying to rewrite your history and to leave God out of it. But God is the author of history. He is the author of my life. 
When people look at the story of my life, I want them to be able to see God on every single page. Just one more really quick verse. Let's go to Deuteronomy 6. We'll start in verse 4. I love this. So this is Moses' last sermon, last words to Israel before he passed away, but right before they entered the promised land. And this is just like one of the high points of this message here. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is a God. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. It's about the heart. Man, you can do a lot of things wrong. You can, do, you can say a lot of things wrong. You can make a lot of mistakes. But if your heart is right, that's what really counts. That's what God can work with. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Something my parents did and something I, I still do today, I'll, I'll write a scripture that God really speaks to me on a postcard, and I'll put it somewhere where I'm going to see it. Uh, I remember I was counseling a, a newer believer who's just dealing with a tremendous amount of fear, and, and she just had a really, really life full of a lot of calamity. And I just told her, just take this scripture. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. Write it on a postcard and just keep it on your person at all times. She said she put it in the back of her cell phone case. Whenever she felt fear, whenever she felt worry, anxiety, she would just look at that. And I said, say it out loud. The word of God is fire in your mouth. Don't just read it. Say it out loud. She came back to me two weeks later, just a completely different person, completely set free from just years and years of torment, of anxiety, of depression, of fear. It was that simple. You shall, shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. My, my brother Andrew, his wife Bree, their two kids, they, they live in a nice house in Denver. The house that they bought before, before them, the owners were Orthodox Jews. There's a lot of Orthodox Jews in that neighborhood because there's a, there's a prominent synagogue there, and, and Orthodox Jews can walk there you know, on, on the Sabbath. And um, they've done a lot of remodeling to the house. When they first bought the house, the kitchen, the, the kitchen had two refrigerators, two dishwashers, two ovens, because they, they're ortho, like you can't, meat and dairy have to be separate. So all the meat, all the dairy, all the plates that touch the meat and the dairy have to be separate. You can't even wash them in the same dishwasher. They've, you know, renovated most of the house. There's like one room that I know Bree still wants to renovate. It's their bathroom. I actually like their master bath because it's, I knew exactly what it was when I walked into it. It's, it's, it's limestone from Jerusalem. And it's kind of yellowish, kind of, and it's not quite feng shui or whatever. But I loved it because I said, I've been to Jerusalem, and you see this stuff everywhere. They probably had it shipped from Jerusalem and just put in and uh, recently, we stayed at the Broadmoor, me and Heather with my brother, Andrew and Bree. And in the bathroom, if you've been to the Broadmoor, the bathrooms are, are limestone, not Jerusalem limestone. They're a little darker yellow. But it, it's very similar to the, 
But in their basement, there, there's a, a little cubby room under the stairs. And, and the previous owners built it as a little kid's playroom. And that's, that's the, so the bathroom and this little playroom are the only two things they haven't renovated yet. But in that little kid's cubby playroom, there's a mezuzah on the, on the, on the little doorpost there. And they said, we're not going to remove that because that, that's, you know, a mezuzah, it's, it's a little tube with a scripture inside of it, and they put it on the doorpost so they remember God's promises. It says, verse 10, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large, say large. Not tiny, not ugly, not impoverished, not destitute. Our God is not a poverty God. Large and beautiful cities, large and beautiful sanctuaries, large and beautiful churches, which you did not have to work for, you did not have to build, you did not have to sweat for, you did not have to do years and years and years of building campaigns and please give and Houses full of all, say good things, full, full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out wells which you did not dig. There is going to be water which you did not dig for. This is actually a prophetic scripture. There is going to be some water that comes from God himself. These wells that you didn't dig for, that you don't deserve, that you didn't work for. Wells of salvation springing up. Vineyards and olive trees. Oil just dripping. That anointing or that joy that you, that no, you did not work for. It's not explainable. It's just going to be there. You didn't plan it. You didn't work for it. You didn't toil for it. It's, it's, it's not from you. And when you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. He takes us out of the house of bondage. He brings us into a house which we didn't build, fills it with good things, brings us into large and beautiful places that we couldn't have possibly have built, and it's only by his grace. God wants to just gush out his grace in abundance in your life. So my last question for you is this. What has he done for you? What has he done for this church? Just look around. Man, we walked into this place debt free. Amazing. By day two, there are some people, oh, it's too big. I don't, you know. I have to drive 10 minutes further. Look at what God is doing. What has he done? Man, when I just start thinking about what he's done for me, when Fisher just thinks about what God did for Pastor Aaron, he starts crying. So my conclusion is this, look what the Lord has done. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com. 
or call us at 719-418-4000.